The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Postgraduate programs at the University of Auckland Business School help you expand your future options. Whether you want to switch careers or advance in your current field, New Zealand's number one business school can help you get there. Unlock your potential today at auckland.ac.nz forward slash business. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Regular listeners will know that when I grew up on the farm, I had dreams of buying a Lamborghini and not a car, a tractor, because I grew up on a dairy farm. And as a kid, and to be frank, as a grown-up, I've always loved the idea of fast cars and looking at my speed dials and feeling the noise of the engine. Um, I just can't get it out of my system. I know it's bad with all of that burning of fossil fuels and, you know, it's dangerous to go fast. And now I'm an old man with kids and I don't do that sort of thing. But I've always had a fascination for vehicles and for dashboards. Dashboards are really interesting because there are 120 years of user experience packed into a couple of simple ideas. When the dial shows the needle going around to 100 kilometers an hour, often you'll see that. You'll feel what it looks like to go to 100 kilometers an hour, and you'll change your behavior. So in theory, if you're not going to break the law, you will watch it go up to 100, and then you'll take your foot off the accelerator. Or when you're watching the fuel dial, if you're uh, someone who has to uh, buy their petrol litre by litre, of course, you're going to watch the fuel dial. You're going to be a little bit careful. You're going to watch it. And then when you're just about empty, you're going to go into the service station and fill up. Dashboards are really interesting. They can change behaviour. They provide information in real time. And then you can do what you need to do. You feel like you're in control. Dashboards are really interesting. And that's why in this week's When the Facts Change, I wanted to talk to someone who's building real-time dashboards for carbon emissions so that as we go about our lives, we can start to understand just how much we're pumping out there and know it and be able to use it. And also for the people that we're buying things from, they can show us what this would do to our behavior if we changed it. We wouldn't crash the car. We wouldn't run out of fuel. These are the things that really give us power. And at the moment, we often don't know. I bet that much more than 95% of people who buy airline tickets are not really aware of how much their emissions are or when they drive to work, what the emissions are in their car. Maybe there should be a third dial on the dashboard for carbon emissions. These are the sorts of information that we can get out of our bank accounts. Because now we know just about everything we spend, if we're not using cash anymore, and most of us don't use cash anymore, just about everything we spend, where we spend it, how much and on what, is coming through the data in our bank accounts. Now, for those of you who have Xero or use Xero or other tools like it, which collect data from 
bank accounts, you can see the power of having that information to do many, many things with it. This week on When the Facts Change, I talk with Ben Gleisner, the, the founder and CEO of Kogo, which is a fintech, financial tech company based in Wellington that is doing fascinating things, not just here, but in the UK, in connecting consumers and businesses with the data that they can get out of their banks. This interview also dives into the area of open banking and how getting hold of that information which we own and being able to connect it with our own personal dashboards can start to change behaviour because relying on politicians doesn't seem to be working and we desperately need to move so much faster to reduce our emissions. Being able to see on that dashboard you speeding along over 100 kilometres an hour and then taking your foot off the gas is so useful. That's this week on When the Facts Change. Kia ora and welcome to When the Facts Change to Kogo's founder and CEO, Ben Gleisner. Great to see you, Ben. Awesome. Great to be here. Now, Ben, I think we, we share some geekery and uh, interest in the worlds of government policy, climate change, how real change gets done between government and private sector and consumers and that weird mix of the political economy. Tell me your story about how you went from the the upper floors of the um, bureaucracies in Wellington to being in a startup trying to get everyone to think about how much carbon they're emitting. Great question, and I ask myself the same thing often. No, it started at Treasury. Um, my mum was actually in the public sector, and I'd finished a master's in um, environmental economics at Vic, and my mum was like, oh, why don't you get a job at the Treasury? And I, I was like, just never thought about that as a place, but I did work at Treasury for seven years. Have you have you complained to her about uh, her I actually question? was quite happy, it's fair to say. I think I, I think I should thank my mum for that one um, because it was a great place to work. Um, particularly uh, the topics that we got to work on. Um, as I said, climate was definitely one of the big ones. Emissions trading scheme was uh, set up while I was there. I did all the UN negotiating of like how much should each country reduce uh, their carbon uh, footprint for the UN climate negotiations, which at one point I was like, I'm sure we are causing more climate change than we're solving. I've said that a few times, people have heard me, but it's probably true flying around business class and I don't know, talking about climate. Um, then investment approach on welfare and then the living standards framework. So yeah, cool topics, but I think it was realizing that the speed of change that we need was probably not gonna quite happen, at least on its own inside government. And so uh, during my time at Treasury, I negotiated a four day working week. And in 2010, one of those days a week, managed to set up a startup called Conscious Consumers, uh, which was helping people understand the impact of their spending and. That was a charity and, you know, I guess, whatever, 13 years on now, it's evolved into something a bit bigger, and, but with the same idea of how do we use data to help inform decision-making and uh, empower people to shape a world that better aligns with their values. So Conscious Consumers, and then it became Kogo. Tell us about the eventual um, place you ended up with as you pivoted sure. in terms of using technology and data t for people to understand their climate impact. Sure. Um, I suppose the main uh, thing we did in 2015, 16, it's, it's all about how do you actually understand people's spending? And you can obviously, I don't know, 
ask people to check in with QR codes and the GPS location. And we did that for years and it was complicated. People couldn't be bothered scanning QR codes, even you know when there's a massive uh, outbreak of a virus, but not in 2010 when they were being given free fair trade coffee, they wouldn't even do it. But what we decided in 2016 was partnered with Paymart New Zealand and started to let people register their payment card onto our conscious consumer app. And that allowed us to say, hey, Bernard, we just saw you spend in this place they are whatever, paying a living wage or whatever. And so that started off the whole financial sort of data en enhancement, I guess. Um, we like thinking of it being using the financial sort of system, but to enhance it with more information around social and environmental impact. So that was 2016 Paymark. 2018 rolled around and we've been trying to get open banking happening, as probably other people have for a long time in New Zealand. We saw it as a real innovative idea. It was taking a long time. Because in the end, if you just get someone to register one credit card and you have to get the merchant to sign up to actually tell anybody anything about their spending, it was really cumbersome. And so 2018 moved to the UK with my wife and uh, two kids. Yeah. So just to dial back a bit, sure. uh, I am curious to explain to people sure. about open banking, why it's a a golden idea on the horizon, which always seems to stay on the horizon in Aotearoa, because um, I've been a banking reporter for 20, 30 years, worked in the UK, Australia, yeah. and have been hearing about this and seeing it in action in the UK, in Europe, and in a, more latterly in Australia as regulators, competition regulators, banking regulators have jumped in there and not just nudged, but you know pushed the banks to open up their systems in a safe way so that people can start to use their own data. And I came back to New Zealand and had a chat with Chris Farfoy and a few others, and there was a lot of enthusiasm. We're talking five, five yeah, yeah. ten years ago. And the banks said, oh, we think it's great too. Let us work it out. Can you tell tell a, you know, a, a, an unaware uh, person, all of whom have bank accounts and data and would like to get hold of it, what do you think's gone on there? Because, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being an innovative, you know, number eight wire, let's get things done sort of place, but mm. it hasn't gotten done. I mean, FPOS is a great example and just digital payments. You know, we were way ahead of the world on that. Um, I think it's funny because, yeah, I am surprised how long it has taken. Um, you know, there's a lot of good reasons around things like, well, there's lots of other regulations they were dealing with. And, you know, it's, it's fair to say there's been um, some reasonable pushback on why it's been slow. I still think um, it's sad, whatever you, whether you take it as you know genuine or not, it's just sad that, we have lost a lot of opportunity in New Zealand. I think I was quoted uh, a few years back. It'll be billions and hundreds probably in, in, the, in the next few years of billions of dollars of value being re removed from the economy. When we enter the UK, just the number of different startups that were using open banking and have used. Now, it's fair to say the promise of the massive big disruption that was going to happen hasn't really happened yet, but I don't think that necessarily is bad because they are talking about effectively disrupting an entire financial services business sector, which is a big deal. Um, but I do think there are genuinely good reasons why, you know, it is important that, that the data that sits in your banking account is something that should be, you know, your, your right to have access to. Uh, so from the rights angle, I think that's important. And from the competition angle, put my treasury hat on again, I think it is important that we do, um, you know, give opportunities for innovative companies to do different things like um, you know, there wasn't many banks deciding to sort of create a carbon footprinting product uh, until we actually built it on open banking. And then the banks looked at it and said, let's do it. So it's a classic example of innovation is hard to do inside large organizations. And so we were a 
proof point where, as I was saying, 2018, we turned up to the UK and said, look, we can figure out when someone spends money if they let us uh, register their debit or credit card. So this is not open banking. This is you know card linking, it's called. Usually for cash back. And we're like, we don't want to give people more cash back or give them points for some crappy toaster or some flights. We want to give them information about the impact they're having on the world. So that's the way we use this card linking with Paymark originally in the UK. But in short, you register your payment card but then you had to get every merchant to register up on the platform as well because you, you know, yikes. Yeah, it's a yikes open banking turns around and we were able to sync the data of 40 different banks. So depending on bank A, B, C, right through to all of them effectively in the UK, you could link your banking data and we'd get access to the entire 12 month history and every transaction you had. And it would basically turn, I suppose, a product that could tell you one in 50 transactions and a little bit about it. We can tell your entire history of spending and in real time, every spend you did. And yeah, so we were able to tell people initially, we told them what percentage of their money was being paid to businesses that were certified a living wage. So it was like, hey, Bernard, last month, 10% of your spending was with businesses that paid their staff a living wage. And hey, you went to a pub and around the corner, there's actually another pub that does pay a living wage. How about you try that out? So we're starting to drive behavior change and then I'd done all this work on carbon and climate and decided let's let's do carbon and let's figure out what the carbon footprint is of the different transactions. And um, that was using open banking. And so it's as simple as somebody opening our app, consenting to say, I'm happy for NatWest or Barclays to share my data securely with Kogo. Um, they press one button, they log in, and then it automatically happens that we have access securely to that information around their spending transactions. And we could then provide information on things like, hey, your carbon footprint was high last month and, you know, think about maybe reducing it through these types of behaviors. So that's that. And the banks looked at it and NetWest is, is obviously one of the big customers we've got now. They looked at it and they were the first bank to say, we want that in our own banking app. And we've been working with them now and they're more than half a million people use a product now just in one bank. How do you make sure that um, the bank doesn't go, oh, only in our banking app <laughs> when the whole point of open banking oh, is, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we, we don't, we have no exclusivity uh, partnerships. It doesn't make sense. And the, the banks get that. It's like, solve climate change only if you're with NetWest. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> when the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. 
Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. So you, you're doing these things in a true open banking market, and and then COVID hits, uh, and increasingly, partly because of COVID, people are now using their cards and their phones to actually do payments a lot more. Uh, we'll we'll uh, ignore the fact that actually in New Zealand there is a much much more actual paper uh, and plastic cash out there than there ever has been, but the share of transactions not just here, but all around the world, that is going through cards, through bank accounts, is rising to the point now where, you know, for a lot of countries, it's nearly 100%. Exactly, yeah. And you can be really sure that the data, if you have open banking, is going to tell you something useful about your own behavior, but also give you some tools to start changing behavior or being nudged, this idea of... of uh, n- well, nudge economics where, you know, little little hints, little little ideas and changes can actually make a huge difference at scale. Can you give us a sense of, you know, some great ideas you've got on how people could change their behavior once they've got their data in an app on their phone? Yeah. So uh, I guess two things to say. One is we do continue to have our app in the UK. So we still have our app, Open Banking Integrated, and we use that as a sort of innovative frontier, if you like. So we're doing all these crazy you know, again, behavioral science um, driven experiments around what gets people to change. But then the banks are also looking to do some of those things themselves. And um, so I guess not specifically to one bank or to to the app itself. We have two engines, we call them. One's a recognition engine, uh, which is you need to recognize people for the good things they're doing already. So Bernard, you jump off a bus or you update your snapper or you, I don't know, do something like, you know, good in the world around climate we can categorize that spend, see it's public transport, or we can um, see that you've chosen to fly, you know, half as much this uh, summer versus last. And so we give all these what we call positive feedbacks for people to say, hey, good on you, you've saved X amount of carbon through choosing public transport uh, rather than going private car, for example. So there's a lot of this what we call recognition engine. And then the recommendation engine is also nudging people to choose new behaviors. So you need to both reinforce the existing, give someone a pat on the back, as well as give them an idea of what they can do next. So it's the idea of like people like being told they're doing good, but they're not also going to change unless they feel like there's a sort of reason to change. And so the recommendations we do are things like, hey, Bernard, we can see you're spending this much on electricity. That's X percent higher than, you know, in terms of carbon than the average one in Auckland. And uh, we can see you've got a mortgage payment in your bank. So, hey, you must own your house. And therefore, if you thought about solar, because solar might save you 5% of your carbon budget relative to last year and blah, blah, blah. And then, then, and then it's about efficient markets. You know, we'd love the future in my mind is whether it's an app like Kogo or, or within the banking apps is we're actually managing people's carbon and helping them make changes as efficiently as possible. So the five providers of solar actually end up at your door with a quote, with a discount on it within like, you know, a week rather than having to spend, I don't know, months trying to figure out who to bloody call and what the options are. We want to try and automate the entire measurement, but also the reductions that are possible um, uh, 
uh, through information, which is the challenge, right, at the moment. Because we, we had yesterday the government announce a $2 billion investment fund with BlackRock, and BlackRock has invested really quite a lot in Solar Zero, Solar Zero which has more than doubled. Yeah, um, as and Solar Zero has done quite a lot to to double the number of customers, uh, putting uh, solar panels on roofs and and batteries, and designing essentially a financial solution to the upfront capital costs. Uh, what other ways are we starting to see? You know, the the technology, the data, the markets combining in Aotearoa to really change behaviour. I can think of um, that. We're very early in the process of, you know, solving these basic problems of uh, trading electricity, managing our peaks, swapping from a fossil to renewable. I mean, what other ideas have we got out there to start using this data? I think in many ways they say technology is almost there. Like it's not that we need to figure out how to do solar panels differently. You know, they're done, technology, price point, everything is, is ready. It's now a sort of distribution and sort of market, sort of how do you build a more like efficient market to, to get it all happening? And again, that's why we have built what we've built. We want to effectively provide, you know, the channel for the next 250,000 households to go solar or to buy EV and things like that, because we know who those people are, because we've got relationships through our banks or uh, in our mobile app to be able to bring to Solar Zero or to any other, you know, low carbon solution, installation, you name it, to be like, do you want to know the next 200,000 homes that are going to want to buy solar? Well, we know them because we've got relationships through our banks or through our apps. And not only do we know them, we've pre-approved finance for half of them because the bank's involved or we've got a partner like Solar Zero who can pre-approve. We've got data from, you know, size of roof area and all, you know, it's, it's all just like, it is possible to really transition quickly. And I hear all these things about, large infrastructure funds and it's great that they're there and the government invests in lots of these like ideas of like doubling solar doubling ev but you still got to build the demand up as well and make the demand like efficiently able to access all the stuff and hence that's what we're trying to build really is a way of connecting demand for carbon reductions to those suppliers that i think in large exist um but I'm sure they'd be happy to get, you know, for investors like BlackRock, it's like, we actually know who the next 100,000 homes we're going to do. Can we give some more investment in? So again, it will drive investment, we hope, as well in these companies. So I don't know, it's a bit of a yeah. far-fetched idea, but it's it's possible. It's what it's what economy is supposed to do, be efficient, price. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated with how quickly economies and behaviour change, uh, often for weird reasons, and this is why behavioural economics uh, can be quite uh, interesting. Yeah. As a someone who's thought about this and then done it and and uh, tried to think up carrots and sticks, what are the carrots and sticks that you've seen that seem to work best to yeah. change behaviour at scale quickly? It's funny actually because I think governments definitely look at carrot stick analogy and be like, well, that's what we can do. We can incentivise or we can, um, I suppose, you know, slap people on the wrist if they don't. I think we're actually operating as a business trying to think about all of the non sort of regulatory approaches, which is where behavioral sort of economics drives a lot of interest. Things like, you know, we call it the inaction gap. So it's the gap between what people say they want to do and what they actually end up doing. So what's what's causing that like almost inefficiency and demand not being realized? And there's a whole bunch of reasons why. Um, one of the most interesting ones that comes through quite a lot is people actually 
want to feel like they're part of the social norm or at least that it's becoming more normal and that's evidence proven by people putting on solar on their roof when they can see neighbors doing it and stuff so part of the like behavioral stuff that goes into this product is you don't just say hey bernard you should you know put solar on your roof because that'll save you five percent carbon it'd be there are another hundred thousand homes in the area also doing it number one so the, the, the ability to social proof and social norm it is one thing that helps drive behavior I do think the transaction costs that are assumed to be zero in markets are absolutely never the case. And it's probably one of the biggest barriers is the time it takes people to actually research and figure out what to do. So if you could be told, well, here are the four providers and just press one button and they'll basically provide you with this quote again, that I think is another reason people aren't changing behavior is it's like, oh, too much of a hassle and got to watch the football on TV and don't want to whatever deal with that right now. Um, yeah, and that's another one. And then financial, obviously, benefits, and that relates to a bit of the incentive part of it, the carrot. But I don't think necessarily government needs to step in and do that incentivization. It helps. But I do think if you can provide these suppliers with, like, the best place to use to find customer, you'll probably be able to price point lower than you would in the general market. So people might be like, I am getting a 10% deal because I can get it cheaper through this platform than I could if I go and buy direct. So there's some ideas we're going to use to try and drive at scale um, mass decarbonisation. Yeah. So this is something that's happening all around the world and in many places much faster than here. And at the moment, I'm particularly frustrated watching enormous amount of activity in the United States. This is the land of Donald Trump and uh, people with gun racks, but they are investing much, much more heavily in... Uh, uh, going to uh, electrification, you know, I interviewed Saul Griffith um, a few weeks ago, who was an Australian who got involved in the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, we're talking literally tens of trillions of dollars of of government money being um, uh, weaponized in tandem with private money to uh, flip into the world's largest economy, electric, as fast as possible. And it means actually governments dropping their purest approach to we never subsidize anything anywhere to actually, you know, suddenly now Europe is looking at the United States going, oh, my God, we're being left, <laughs> by, left behind. Yeah. Uh, how do you think New Zealand uh, could respond to this and maybe, you know, shift its approach? Because um, everyone else in the world is is not talking, you know, 1993 pure markets. Yeah, yeah. They're thinking, do whatever it takes to freaking stop the planet from boiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um as I said, the 20 years of the stuff on climate, it feels like we've been asking governments to do a lot and not much has happened. Uh, it's definitely a lot of talk. I do think, yeah, there is a role, um, particularly uh, as simple as just an incentive on a solar, um, say, deal that it does or EV. It is, it is proven that if you can say to somebody, here's a financial like benefit for taking an action, it does obviously mean more people will take that action. Um, I think the challenge for government will be how do you sell it as a sort of like, you know, is there enough, which I've always struggled with the question to answer is, is there enough voter demand? That's really what governments are going to, you know, unfortunately respond to. And I don't know if there's quite enough visibility around this as an issue. You, you, I talk about it all the time with all my people and friends and stuff. And I think surely people, this is a big issue, but maybe it still hasn't quite like sunk in if I think about Oh, it's a bit like capital gains tax to go beside on that. Like, I just don't know where the, ev <laughs> where the evidence is that points to this being not something that people want, but it feels like climate is still this, like, I don't know, it's just not been invested in. It's been talked about, but there's not a lot of investment by government. So I'd argue 
you know, there is a good justification. We are way behind where we need to be as a civilization. So if there's anything that we should be spending money on in terms of, you know, motivating economic growth, it should be around around clean tech and around decarbonisation. It feels like a no-brainer. So, And the news this week um, that could uh, give banks and other businesses uh, an easier way to work with their customers on the carrots and the sticks and the ideas and the nudges is um, you've uh, yes open banking and you've announced a partnership with Akahu uh, which um, we interviewed um, uh, the Akahu people a few weeks ago tell us what the plan is there great well it's funny I was on stage at an Ice House uh, Angel uh, Summit 2017 I think with Ben actually who was the original founder of Akahu and you know he was promoting a product called Jude. So we've been talking about this thing for a long time in terms of opportunities to work together. Um, and it's great that it's finally happening. Uh, basically, yeah, uh, we work with Akahu-like companies all around the world to try and help drive, I suppose, awareness of things like with your spending data, you can actually find out more information than maybe you currently know, like things like your carbon footprint. So um, the way it works is like it would in the UK, that you download Kogo's app and you would be able to sync your banking data uh, through uh, Akahu. So instead of sort of having to go to every bank and say, can we use your banking data? Can we use your banking data? It effectively is a platform that allows us to integrate with all of those banks. Um, and as regulations come into effect, it'll, it'll be able to do that in a regulatory and safe way, which is really important. And so, yeah, uh, in the future, um, whether it's through a bank itself or whether it's through an app like Kogo, um, what, what Akahu will be able to do for us is provide an easy way of customers pulling their banking information out and learning more about, wow, my carbon footprint last month is actually you know down by 5% and get recognized for the good things you're doing. So effectively build an experience that gives people insights on what their carbon footprint is and ways they can reduce it. Sometimes... Um change is driven by large companies, um, the people who are the, the, the businesses and the business-to-business -business relationship. Um, do, you, do you think there's a, a market there for people who already have a relationship with a customer and already have an app which they use to integrate some of this information into their apps? So it's, it's not just a, a business-to-consumer uh, idea that's, that's happening, but a business-to-business -business idea. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the case. We've got a product we're working uh, and launched with Zero as a partner on, which helps businesses actually manage their carbon footprint and then similarly connect to other businesses that are helping them reduce. So in some ways, there are just a multitude of, of opportunities. And open banking really is, is a in the wider sense, a concept around open data, which is like we, we have all this data that sits within our loyalty programs for our supermarkets and we've just signed, signed a couple of partnerships with big grocers uh, in Europe and in the States to help people understand carbon footprint but it would just be so much easier than having to deal with like individuals if there was a way of like individual banks to bring it all together and whether that's a, a consumer that gets to see these insights or a business in many ways it's just about helping bring information to people uh, that isn't currently available and as we said at the beginning it's not something that they themselves as businesses and banks actually are innovating uh, on. And so we want to be able to make that easier um, and almost encourage them by saying, look, hey, it is actually possible to do this stuff. Your customers want it and then maybe use it as a sort of back to your carrot analogy, an incentive or maybe even a stick to say, come on, people, let's get this stuff inside so that every Kiwi in any bank account can see it. Uh, dumb question I often ask is um, how 
How do you make money out of this? Because in theory, you, do, you would have to cover your costs. <laughs> Good question. Uh, we ask that uh, a lot. Um, banks do pay money. They want to build experiences for their customers that are engaging and that effectively attract, I guess, a customer base that do care more, more about the stuff. So yeah, banks do pay. In the end, we'd love to be able to provide these solar and various different carbon friendly options to people and, and help sort of monetize through, I guess, like any marketplace would, like taking a little bit of the money that gets spent through, um, you know, buying the solar panel and, and buying the EV. So at the moment, that's the future dream. At the moment, banks just pay us money and we can provide the service, as I said, to half a million people in the case of NatWest and growing. So it's um, it's the thing that, that's on the rise, which we're very happy about for the sake of the climate, yeah. not so much us. Yeah. Yeah. Just finally, um, I'm a fan of a very old TV series called Hogan's Heroes. For, for young people, Google it. Uh, and there's one character in there called Sergeant Schultz, who uh, whenever he saw something that he knew he shouldn't have seen and would get him into trouble if he um, was asked about it, used to say, I hear nothing, I know nothing. <laughs> do, do, do you think both consumers and businesses ever in the back of their minds go, you know what, if I am Saw told that. this information, <laughs> I I maybe would have to change things. And I don't like change so much. So actually, yeah, the data is powerful, but I don't, don't want the power it. or that responsibility. Yeah. Keep my head in the sand and um, pretend it's not happening. I think the evidence is the complete opposite that, you know, the vast majority of people that see this have found it incredibly valuable, useful. It's an sense of empowerment. Um, I can tell you, you know, we've been tracking our footprint for our family for a few years now, and um, it has absolutely made us feel more like part of a solution than feeling like we're pointing the finger and it makes us feel, you know, more able to do the 5% reduction we've been doing for the last few years on our own carbon footprint. So, yeah, I guess maybe, but I think you can pretend to hide around and not care about it in the future. Your friends will probably ask you at a dinner party, you're not even thinking about your carbon or maybe your businesses will start not being able to supply to large corporates because they demand that you actually do it. So you can keep your head in the sand, but you won't be going to any dinner parties much and you'll probably lose the business that you've got currently if you don't. Yes, and um, there's a pretty close correlation between a carbon emission and actual dollars spending. So it is another, don't get to degrowth. We'll come back to another degrowth conversation. <laughs> <laughs> ben, it's been lovely to talk to you. Um, thank you very much uh, for your time. Ben Gleisner, uh, the founder and CEO of Kogo, thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Kia ora. Thanks, Ben. Kia ora. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.